0: brothers and sisters. My name is Wilson Van Hooser. I'm the RUF campus minister at Oklahoma State. I won't say it, uh, but you're thinking it. What I'm going to say, I just won't say it. Uh, I'm so excited to be here uh, with y'all this morning. Uh, If you would, let's pray and thank the Lord for the reading of his word and, and let's dive into it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of your word that you have passed down to us. Uh, for 2,000 years, that even here uh, through bloodshed and persecution across languages and continents and, and mass uh, political persecution to eliminate your word, yet here it stands. And we thank you, and it is a great sign of your love for us that you would help us to, to know your truth and live in light of your truth, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, That you would help us to approach the Father through the Son. And as we see his great love for us through the Son applied to us by you, O Holy Spirit, that we might live that new life in Christ. Thank you for this truth. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. To the untrained eye, lots of modern art uh, might not make very much sense. The untrained eye is me. And sometimes to the untrained eye, you can look at some modern art and it can look like, as Bob Ross likes to call, happy accidents. Uh, But then when when you're in, let's say, this museum and when you look at the art, oftentimes what will be right beside it is a plaque that will help interpret what's going on here. And it's actually when you read the plaque... That you have a proper interpretation of what's there. And then you can look at it, once again to the untrained eye, and you can say, yes, that's exactly what's happening there. You see, lots of times our lives, and especially the the Christian life, can just look like a bunch of splatters and spills that don't make sense. But then we have to get back to God's word. Because when we get back to God's Word, that is essentially reading the plaque that helps it make sense. One of the things I'm doing with my students right now up at Oklahoma State is on Sunday nights we're actually doing a Bible study through the book of Romans. And I've been talking with them a lot about this Romans 6, 7, and 8 cycle. That you have to hold all these chapters together because that's what helps you make sense and rightly interpret the Christian life. It's not just one chapter at a time, but it's all of it. And actually, when you hold all of it together, it's the plaque that helps you make sense of things. This is a phenomenal uh, section in Scripture to help us understand the Christian life. And essentially, the main point we have here this morning is this. When the Christian life doesn't make sense, you've got to read the plaque. So... Look at chapter 6. As I tell my students all the time, keep your Bibles open because who cares what I have to say? Only if it's according to God's word, that's what we need to hear. Look at chapter 6. Look at verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in the newness of life. Chapter 6 in the book of Romans is all about who is the Christian. Who is the Christian and and it's coming off the heels of well as as numbers typically go you go from 5 to 6. So coming off of chapter 5 what was happening there well Paul was Telling us, what he's saying is, look, when you were united to Adam, all you had was death. All you had was the disease of sin, and that would decay your life. And you need deliverance from the first Adam. And that's when Jesus comes. Jesus does what the first Adam could not do, so that now when we get Jesus, we get life. That's what chapter 5 is about. And now Paul is going to be talking about What does that mean for us? What are the implications for this? You see, here's what Paul is saying. When you get Christ, you get Christianity. When you get Christ, you get Christianity. If you don't get Christ, there is no Christianity. It is Him. And all the blessings of God are to be found in Him. Jesus is not the means. He is the end. In other words, here's what God is not doing when you become a Christian. He's not staying in heaven and just kind of, you know, I'll I'll give this illustration. Maybe go to Thunder Games and they uh, they have the t-shirt cannon, you know, and they sit there and they're like, do you want a t-shirt? You know, and they shoot a t-shirt up to you. Okay, God is not shooting down to you forgiveness and grace and love and mercy while Christ stays in heaven. He gives you himself. That's what it means to be forgiven. That's what it means to receive the love of God. You get God. Okay? The Christian comes in union with Christ. And now what what Paul is saying here is that now what is true of Christ is true of us. Paul says uh, later on in your Bibles in Galatians 2 verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, this. Paul is saying that, dear Christian, you cannot rightly think about yourself if you are not also thinking about Christ. Do you hear that? We love personality tests today. We love them. But here's one of the limitations of personality tests. That does not tell you the full story of who you are if you're a Christian. If you're not remembering Jesus, you're not truly knowing yourself. Because your life is bound up in him. That's what Paul's saying here. What's true of Christ is is true of us. And and what that means is that now what is Christ belongs to us. You see, his righteousness is now the the robe and and the clothes we wear. His peace is given to us. And now in Christ, because he is the eternal son of God, we might become adopted children of God. Amen. That's the truth right there. Right. You see, what's also what this also means is this is because of union with Christ. It's not just that his is ours, but what's ours is his. Second Corinthians 521 says that he who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. Here's what this means for you, dear Christian. Your sins don't even belong to you Matter of fact, one of the things we need to learn, which is what Martin Luther teaches us, is that because of union with Christ, whenever you go through those and spiritual warfare attacks, you need to learn to look and say, you've got to go take it up with Jesus because it's his. It belongs to him. You see, in union with Christ, what is his becomes ours, and what is ours becomes his. Look at verses 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, may, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The Christian, it says in Romans 6, because of our union with Christ, the Christian is dead to sin. I love what Paul is doing here in chapter 6. And this is what the good old... Uh, Welsh preacher in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He gave so much emphasis here in chapter six about the, the cognitive emphasis in chapter six. Paul uses words like in verse three, he says, do you not know in verse six, we know in verse 11, so you must also consider. In other words, chapter six is all about reading the plaque. It's all about being reminded of what's true. And one of the things that Paul is telling us of what's true about us is that the Christian is dead to sin. No, it doesn't mean that the Christian is perfect. And all, whoa, chapter seven's coming, just wait. The Christian never reaches a, a time of perfection this side of heaven. But the reality of the Christian is that the Christian has been delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. In other words, when you're a Christian, there's a new sheriff in town. That sheriff, that king, actually that's the the Greek language Paul is using here, that the king, Jesus, has defeated king Satan. And he has killed sin and he is working on killing sin in your life. Sin is no longer your master even though there might be remnants of it there. I love uh, this scene in the... The movie Monty Python, and the Holy Grail. Bring out your dead. And the one man leaning over the shoulder says, I'm not dead yet. And sure enough, he has to hit him over the head. Here's the thing about the Christian. There is no such thing as I'm not dead yet. Dear Christian, if you are united to Christ, you are united to his death. And you are dead to sin. Amen. That's a, that's a promise right there. You see, that means that we can learn. It's not going to be easy, but we can learn to fight against sin and we can win some battles. It's never perfection, but we can grow because there's a new king. There's a new sheriff in town. Look at verses 8 and verse 11. Now, if we have died with Christ we believe that we will also live with Him. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Christian isn't just dead to sin, but the Christian is alive positively to God. And that's one of the the things we need to remember that we need to speak to ourselves is that we indeed are alive to God. We have the Holy Spirit within us and actually this word in verse 11 where it says so you also must consider it literally means you must logic with yourself if you have the god of life in you how can you not be alive that's what we have and because we have him we can learn now remember it's learning it's not perfect we can learn to live more to god Because of union with Christ, we are new creatures. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's who we are. And we we learn to to live as new creatures with new spiritual taste buds. Do you all like Brussels sprouts? Yes. Well... I'm from Alabama, but it still took me a long time to love Brussels sprouts or love love collard greens. They're amazing now, but they weren't so amazing to young Wilson. I had to grow to have that taste. Well, here's what happens in the Christian life is that God gives you new spiritual taste buds to love him, to love his ways and to learn more and more to walk after him. You see, dear Christian, here's one of the things you need to realize is if you are in union with Jesus Christ, you can live to God and you will grow. But here's the here's the danger, though. Do not look at each other and say, how am I doing in comparison to him or to her? Do not do that. Your only vision is to look to Christ. You have your own timeline. Everyone in here has their same struggles. You might be struggling with the same thing. But God is doing an individual work in your life. Your job is not to compare yourself to him or to her, but to look to Christ. That's where you're to look. Look at verse 22 in chapter 6. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end. Eternal life. You see, now the Christian, because of this Romans 6 union with Christ, we have this unchanging reality. Now, here's what's so important. Emotions are crazy, aren't they? Emotions just seem so out of whack so much. But here's the thing about our emotions is that because of sin, because of the fall, they don't always tell us the true story. Our emotions are affected by the fall. And that means that at times, that whenever we see our sin and we're struggling, we're fighting against sin, we cannot let our emotions be the only thing that tells us what's true. You've got to read the plaque. You've got to look at God's Word. You have to logic with yourself to be reminded, wait a second. I'm in union with Christ. I am His. That's where I am. It's the reality of Scripture, especially as we get into Romans 7 here in just a second. It's that reality of union with Christ that is going to give us so much hope amidst the struggle. I remember seeing a car that had a no bumper, a bunch of... Uh, holes and, and dinks and, and scratches in the car and even as I was behind this person you could see this, the interior you know, uh, ceiling of the car and it's all hanging down and that it wasn't for decoration it was just a beat up car but do you know what the car tag said King Leo and my initial thought there is looking at, looking at this and saying what kind of a king is this See, that's a good picture of the Christian life. Because as we'll get to in a second, your life looks like that beat up car. But the reality is that you are united to the king. Amen? Gotta read the plaque. Because that is who you are. You don't make it to be that way. Because if you have Jesus, that's true of you. But the Christian life's hard. Look at chapter 7. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. Look at verse 6 as well. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see, this new life in Christ, we have to remember that we have a new relationship with His law. The law used to be the guard that would keep us in our jail cell. And it would never let us out. And the law would let us know that, that we have sinned. You see, but now the Christian, the, for the law, the relationship to the Christian the law is this. The law is no longer the harsh guard. The law is a gentle guide. It's a friend. The law reveals to us who God is and it shows us how we can learn more and more to live a godly life. But here's the key though. You cannot go back to live as if you're still underneath the law. You are not saved by grace to then go back to living by works. That's not what Paul is saying here. The entire process of your Christian life is a process of grace. You see, uh, as Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 6, Therefore, listen to this, As you received Christ Jesus, so in the way you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? Was it because you were good enough? Nope. And if you think it is, then you're wrong. It wasn't. It was all grace. So how do you keep walking in Him? All of grace. You see, we learn not to look to the law in and of itself, but we learn to look to the Lord In order to live in light of the law. I love what one seminary professor Claire Davis said. The Christian life is a combination of deja vu and amnesia. It says, I think I've forgotten this before. And isn't that so true? As Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, the hardest thing for man to do in every single age of the Christian church is to remember that God loves you by grace. We have to remind ourselves to read the plaque. Not to go back to the old ways. We have a new relationship with the law. But here's the former life that we used to have before we became Christians. Look at verses 7 through 9. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it hadn't been for the law, then I wouldn't know what sin was. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Here's what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is that before he became a Christian, he used to look at the law and say, I'm not that bad. He used to look at God's commandments and say, I'm doing pretty good. But then God opened up his eyes to see what the law was really saying. Some of us in here might think we're doing really good. And one of the best things God can do to us is frankly almost like a UFC fighter. is just to put us into submission so that we will realize we cannot keep your law. Because you can't. And if you think as you look at God's word that, that you're doing well, then Satan has you right where he wants you. Because the reality is that it is the unbeliever who looks at God's law and says, I'm not that bad. Because sin essentially says this. You see this in the first part of verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. When we are living in sin, here's what we're saying. I will be God. That's the original temptation. I will be God. I will live how I want to live. And the law exposes our weakness and exposes our sin and says, but you are not God. Now, one of the best things that can happen to us I try to tell my, my kids this. One of the best things that can happen to us through the preaching of the word is actually that we would feel the heat of God's law. Now, you can't say there because growing in the Christian life is not feeling good about just feeling really, really bad. You know, sometimes we like to do that. We love total depravity. You know, you are depraved. City press, let's pray. Uh, no, but you do need to feel the heat. Because if you don't know you're sick, you won't go to a doctor. You see, and the law awakens us to realize that we need the righteousness of another person. But when we become Christians, we still have the lingering presence of sin. And that leads into this Romans 7 struggle. That is true that we're in union with Christ, but it's hard to live in light of that. Look at verses 13, uh, or excuse me, look at verse 14 through 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You see, there is, uh, it's Paul's actually still using this, this kingship, this kingdom language. You have to picture it this way, that before you were a Christian, uh, the king sin, as it were, king Satan, ruled. Jesus says there's only two types of people. Either God is your father or Satan is your father. You have only two kings in this world, either God or Satan. And before you were a believer, Satan was your king. Sin was your king. Death was your master. But then that kingdom was overthrown. And Christ is now king. But yet... There's still that guerrilla warfare, as it were. There's still those battles and skirmishes that need to be fought. Let me give it to you this way. D-Day was was the main battle, the decisive victory that ensured victory for the war. But did D-Day make Germany raise the white flags? No. They still had to keep going on fighting other battles. But nevertheless, D-Day was victorious. You see, the cross and the resurrection is the victory of the war, but there are still battles the Christian has to fight. And it's hard. We, we, we try to fight against sin. We try to follow God's word, but it's difficult. And that's why that at, at times we can feel as if we're still under the power of sin, but the reality of Romans 6 is still true. And that's why we need to remember this experience in the Christian life. It does matter, but our experience should never reinterpret our theology. Our theology must interpret our experience. God's word, the plaque must be always before us so that we see what's happening in our life because there's going to be many times where you're going to feel like there's no way you can defeat this, but you need to look at the cross And see that since Jesus Christ defeated death, he is at work in your life. Amen? Sometimes our emotions are like a faulty engine light. Those engine lights in our cars, they're always working perfectly, aren't they? Right? Or the the tire pressure indicators. They're always, always telling the truth. Isn't that right? No, they come on all the time. No telling because of whatever reasons. Sometimes it is telling the truth. Sometimes it's just on just to be on. You see, lots of times in the Christian life, it can seem as if we're sold under sin. That sin is reigning and that there's no hope for us. But our emotions and our feelings are often like those faulty engine lights. We need to be reminded of God's Word and what's true. Look at verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In other words, there's still, still sin remaining, sin lingering. And as John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. One of the ways in which we do that is this. As 1 John 1, 8-10 says, don't pretend like you have no sin. Because if you pretend like you don't have sin, and this is for the Christian, by the way. If you pretend like you don't have sin, you're calling yourself a liar and you're also calling God a liar. But rather, here's what you're to do if you have sin. Because you do. You confess it. And he will forgive you. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You don't just let it stay there. If you let mold stay there, what happens? It grows. You've got to do something about it. Look at verses 21 to 25. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul is using that language in verse 23, that spiritual warfare, that waging war. And I love in verse 21 where it says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You know what Paul's thinking about? He's thinking way back into Genesis 4 when Cain and Abel had offered Uh, Sacrifices to the Lord, but Cain's was not good. and, And Cain was getting ready to harbor bitterness and evil in his heart. And God said, if you do good, will it not be good for you? But sin is crouching at your door. Brothers and sisters, when you want to follow the Lord, you better believe that sin is crouching at the door. You are in a war. You're in a battle. The war is won. But Satan's just not going to be like... Oh, man, what am I going to do now? He, he can't take away your salvation, but he can certainly take away the experience of the salvation. He can't take away the love of God from you, but he can certainly take away your knowledge of the love of God. That's why we must fight, but it's, it's difficult. I, I, sometimes I'm actually really surprised about why we are still surprised that people sin in the church. You know, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites, well, welcome to the club. This is, this is what Paul's saying. Who ever said that Christians had it all together? The reality is that we're like King Leo. Our, our, our roof is just dangling with that, that foam and whatever it is. It just seems like our life is not put together. Because here's the thing. We need Christ. We need Him to be the one who is working in us. And that's the reason why we fight. You see, dear Christian, you will struggle. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will struggle. You see what I'm saying there? You're going to struggle in the Christian life, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to fight. You see, the defeated soldier is not the soldier who gets knocked down. The defeated soldier is the soldier who gives up. You're going to get knocked down. And you're going to look at your kids and you're going to look at your spouse and you're going to look at your friends and you're going to see them either have some really horrible desires or really horrible thoughts or really horrible deeds. And sometimes or another, we should look at them and be like, well, it's the waging war. But yet we don't just look at that and say, well, that's just the way things are. We remember our union with Christ and we come alongside them in mercy and grace You see, even when Romans 7 and that experience and the battles and the struggle against sin and temptation, even though that's true, Romans 6 is still true. And that's often you can get to the point in your life in chapter 7 verse 24 where Paul says, wretched man that I am. It's good that you get there, but don't stay there. Because when you stay there, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. You see, think about this. If you are only looking within, and you're only seeing your own faults, your own sins, is that faith? Faith is not looking all the time within. Faith is learning to look without. Faith is learning to look at Christ, that despite your sin, that yes, you are called to look within, but not for the primary part of your time. You look to Christ. Seeing that there is forgiveness in Him. There is cleansing in him. There is power in him. We have to learn to not constantly look within, but we have to look without. And that often requires other people's help. Because shame is a very powerful thing that Satan can use. Here's what Harold St. Bale says. He's a Lutheran pastor. He says, a person who experiences shame has an abiding sense of failure and self-disgust. I guarantee you there are many people, if not most people in here who struggle with this. It is a keen sense of deep and unrelenting grace. Because what shame loves to get you to do is to only look within to see here's how you've messed up. And it runs the law over and over in your mind. And we need the help of other people. We need the help of each other to get us to look without to Christ. That's what we need. The Martins adored their three-year-old son. And if your last name is Martin in here, I, this, is, this is not you. But they loved their three-year-old son, and they always bragged about him, and often in an obnoxious way. And one day, little three-year-old Robert failed to get into the number one preschool in New York. And after this, the Martins, they didn't brag on him young Robert that much anymore because as one person says Robert was someone who had discredited himself and shamed his parents at the tender age of three he was a failure guys you're gonna sin but Jesus Christ never takes away his love from you amen You gotta read the plaque because the plaque reminds you that even in the struggle you're still in union with Christ and he is at work and here's where he's going look at chapter 8 look you can't you can't make this stuff up right I mean come on it's not like me and Josh got together and we're like man what can we how can we put stuff in God's word you can't make this good news up this is awesome look at look at chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now even amidst the struggle there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus amen goodness I could have just read that and said let's go home It's amazing. No condemnation. There is no legal decision of a guilty criminal case. And oh, don't our consciences often look at us. And when we're living functionally underneath the law. And we see our sins. And we say guilty, guilty, guilty. And it is true. We have sinned. But where does our sin go? It goes to Christ. As one Psychiatrist said, I could dismiss half of my patients if I could just give them the assurance that they, their sins are forgiven. We sang of John Newton earlier, and here's another great quote from John Newton. He says, This, when we burden ourselves with our many sins, we are prone to overlook the very greatest of them unbelief. Brothers and sisters, When you're constantly just replaying your day in your mind and constantly just being absorbed with all the ways in which you failed and ways in which you've sinned, you're overlooking the greatest sin, looking to Christ and seeing the blessings that are in him. That's what we need. We need to learn to live in light of this no more condemnation in Christ. But here's the thing. We can't live in light of no more condemnation in Christ if we're not looking to Christ. See, several of my students are telling themselves, I just can't forgive myself, right? We hear that all the time. I can't forgive myself. Here's the thing who told you that you had the right to forgive yourself? Because Mark 2 says that only the Lord can forgive sins. And here's the thing, dear Christian, you don't have that permission. God has that permission. And if it's enough for God, it should be enough for us. The Word reminds us that even when we don't feel forgiven, you are. Amen? That's amazing. And it trains us to have this, this new mind in the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who is teaching us to live in light of the gospel, that we indeed are righteous in Christ, even though we're still sinners. And look at verses 14 to 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Y'all, even when you still struggle with sin, you are still a child of God. Stop trying to live in such a way where you think you might lose His love. You can't. The very first man who won, who wants to be a millionaire, he got to the final question and he didn't use any of his lifelines. And then finally he did. And he called his dad and he said, dad, I don't need your help. I just want to let you know that I'm about to win the million dollars. Look, it's a bold move. He, He better be right. He was, but that'd be really awkward if he wasn't. You see, here's the thing. Jesus Christ does not need any of your lifelines for you to become a child of God. He is enough. Look to Him. Even when you don't feel like you're a child and you're struggling to live like a child of God, you are still a child of God because you have Christ. That's amazing in that Romans 7 struggle. Look at verses 18 through 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. Do you guys look at your sin struggle and do you look at your suffering and you just long for heaven? You should. You should. Because longing to be where God is, is godliness. We should long for the redemption of our bodies. We should long for the day when finally we don't have to fight against sin anymore. And it's coming. That's actually one of the things God does within us to make us long for that. And even amidst our suffering, we can know that he is at work. Look at verse 28. And we know, there's that cognitive word, and we know that for those who love God, some things work together for good. That's what it says, right? Some some things. Look at it. All things work together for good. We heard earlier, God is at work in all things. Amen? Not just when you feel it. That's good news. Because even when you're in the midst of an addiction... He is at work. That's the reality. You don't make it true. He's at work. And if you keep looking to Him, you're going to watch Him. You're going to watch Him work. We even get to the end in this, what William Perkins calls this golden chain where where those who God predestined in the very beginning, He's never going to lose them. In other words, even when the Romans 7 struggle is true, you've got to read the plaque. He will not lose you. And in verses 31 to 39, God is saying, look, there is nothing from A to Z, from alpha to omega, that you can do or anything anyone can do to you where you can lose his love. Amen? That's the hope we have. I remember in 2014, I had the privilege of going to play for the New England Patriots. And one of the things that... They would tell us, they said, Look, we don't care if you're a first-round draft pick or if you're just a rookie free agent who we signed. Me. We don't care who you are. We're winning a Super Bowl with or without you. Can you imagine the confidence people had playing? No matter. You're gonna get a ring. I don't have one, I got cut. Spoiler alert. <laughs> But imagine the confidence that you know that no matter what you will face, that on that team you will win a Super Bowl. Here's the thing they did. God is undefeated, dear Christian. And no matter how deep your struggle goes, no matter how much people look at you and try to shame you with it, God will win. And he's going to renew you. And your goal is to keep looking to him. And let Christ, let Christ be the plaque that you read over and over and over that's a truth right there. And that's not a truth we make up. That's God's truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that in your grace and your mercy, that you would help us to read the plaque. And that we would understand the Christian life more and more. That, that our identity in Christ is true. And yet, even when we struggle, you're not going to let us go. You're going to hold on to us. And Lord, may that have its ripple effects in OKC and beyond. But may you make it true in our hearts. And we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.